This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. September 11th, 2001, 21 years ago yesterday, Remember the old saying, never forget, we will never forget what happened. How could we? Nearly 3,000 people were killed that day. Four separate plane crashes in one day. It's insane. It's insane what happened. Everything changed, but people have forgotten. Driven by the mainstream media, their Democrat allies, Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. You know what the worst thing that ever happened now these days? January 6th. Oh, yeah. January 6th. Absolutely. Right. All those extremists, some calling them terrorists on January 6th. Look, here's the New York Times. This was once a great newspaper. I grew up on the New York Times. Take a look at the front page of yesterday's September 11th edition. Not one mention, not one mention of what happened on that day. You know, look, I recognize it's the 21st anniversary. It's not the 10th anniversary or the 20th anniversary or the 25th anniversary. It's an odd year, but, but still, even like for New York, avoid downtown. There was a huge ceremony there and, you know, for traffic purposes, at least, you know, alert your readers that something is happening downtown and they would be reading names for hours even the vice president of the United States, not worthy of a front page mention. What was worthy? A rather nasty swipe at uh, Jewish institutions, schools run by Hasidic Jews. Some readers thought this was an anti-Semitic swipe on 9-11. I think there just might be something to that. What they're driving again is that January 6th is the most awful thing that ever happened to this country. Right on par with 9-11, if not exceeding it. Here's Meet the Press, the longest, the longest running television show, I think, in the history of television. Today is September 11th. It was 21 years ago that we were attacked by foreign terrorists. Not quite 20 years after 9-11, the Capitol came under attack from domestic terrorists. Wow. And that was it for September 11th. No more mention. It was all January 6th. On January 6th, and those top secret documents at Mar-a-Lago. Have you thought about, uh, have you thought through the scenarios that you might face on January 6th, 2025? That is, um, that is what we're talking about when we think about January 6th. Well, you couple that with people who hold some of the highest elected offices in our country who, who refuse to condemn an insurrection on January 6th. And it's not just Democrats, actually, not just the media. There are plenty of Republicans out there trying to equate what happened on 9-11 with January 6th. And perhaps the most unforgivable is George W. Bush. And we have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. 
There's little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But then there's disdainful pluralism in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols. They are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them. Children of the same foul spirit, people on January 6th with those who, those monsters who destroyed the towers and the, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, there's a real problem here. Uh, George W. Bush should be deeply ashamed of himself. He came to office with no expertise whatsoever, other than cutting brush in Waco, Texas. If he had had his eye on the ball, perhaps 9-11 would never have happened. And some people that I know would still be alive. People like Neil Levin, he was the chairman of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. I uh, talked with him just one month before his death. Rodney Gillis, a hero cop with the Emergency Services Unit, or my high school classmate, Thomas Brennan, sat right next to him in English class. I saw this up close on September 11, 2001, and for these comparisons to still be made are reprehensible. Nearly 3,000 people were lost. And to compare, to compare the monsters who did this with people like Big O, and the horns guy on January 6th. You know, it takes hours upon hours to read the names of those who were lost. It goes on for so long. Actually, some people have been debating, should we even do this anymore? Which is another conversation. You know, what happened on that day, it was conducted by the Taliban and Al-Qaeda, and now the Taliban and Al-Qaeda are back in control in Afghanistan. Isn't that heartbreaking? And isn't, doesn't that pose an existential threat, as the left likes to say, to America? I think so. They say that uh, people concerned about election fairness are an existential threat. I think these people are the existential threat. But they lie right to our face, don't they? I'm talking about this administration. We won't ignore what our intelligence agency have determined to be the most lethal terrorist threat to the homeland today. White supremacy is terrorism. The most prominent um, threat is the threat of white supremacists. In the FBI's view, the top domestic violent extremist threat comes from racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists, specifically those who advocated for the superiority of the white race. White supremacy is awful. There are probably three guys who believe in that and they're in jail somewhere. So this is the swamp for you, okay? They tell the political masters or the political masters determine what the swamp thinks. And white supremacy works for them politically, just like weapons of mass destruction work for the Bush-Cheney administration politically. So here we are. And people with a straight face are actually saying that January 6th is worse than September 11th. 9-11 introduced to many Americans for the very first time this sense of vulnerability at home, and it launched the global war on terror. I wonder how vulnerable you think America is now. Are we paying enough attention to the Middle East and to Afghanistan? In many ways, um, we defeated the terrorists because of the resilience of the American public, because of our intelligence community. And we are safer, better prepared. Um, the stunning thing to me is here we are 20 years later, and 
the attack on the symbol of our democracy was not coming from terrorists, but it came from literally insurgents attacking the Capitol on January 6th. You see him crack a smile there. I don't think he can uh, keep a straight face while he pushes this nonsense, but they're pushing it to increase their political power. That's what it's all about, to defend the uh, oncoming onslaught that we expect this uh, fall with the midterms. And that brings me to Donald Trump. You know, nobody who was actually there would say these horrendously stupid things about uh, January 6th and 9-11 and tying the two together is somehow on, on the same level. No way. Donald Trump was there, even though folks like to say that this is fake news, that he was there and that he helped in the days after September 11th. He did. As you walked around and as you saw the piles of rubble, there are thousands of families out there who are hoping that someone might be in a pocket somewhere, still alive, still breathing, waiting to be dug up. As you assessed that damage from your perspective, do you believe that's possible? Well, I, I would certainly not want to be the one to say it's not possible. Certainly it's, uh, it's a tough situation, but you can't give up hope because there's always hope. I mean, the five men, I'm sure their families thought that they probably were gone and now they walk in the door. A couple of them walked away after they were dug out. So. There probably are some more people in there, and therefore you can't give up hope. The Trump Organization made resources available to the, uh, to the rescue and recovery, and he was there. And he doesn't get credit for it. Not that he was looking for credit, but Jack Posobiec, who's a very interesting and uh, powerful conservative thinker, he put this on Instagram. No one told him to go. He went anyway. This is in the aftermath of... September 11th. Instagram came out and tried to label this fake news. It's missing context. The same information was reviewed by independent fact checkers in another post. What did they say? It's all questionable, right? No, we need more context. No evidence that Donald Trump, no evidence. It's been debunked. It's been debunked. These folks are so incredibly powerful now. Instagram, big tech, they are going to say that what we see with our own eyes, what we know is somehow false information. They have too much power. We can't allow them to retain this power. It seems crazy to me. Look, Bill de Blasio, former mayor, disgraced. What a terrible failure. Uh, that summer in 2020, he went out and painted Black Lives Matter as a stunt in front of Trump Tower. And he was the mayor. He had far more important things to do. And a few months later, it was announced because of COVID, the amazing tribute in lights would be canceled. This has been going on since uh, uh, 2002. New Yorkers love this. Uh, they went all the way up to space, these big industrial lights right where the World Trade Center was. Um, they called it off because of COVID. And Bill de Blasio let that happen. I noticed it. I noticed a meme that I liked and I thought was interesting, so I put it up on Instagram. According to Mayor de Blasio, this is okay, wasting time painting, but this is not the tribute in light. Guess what? It was censored and banned by Instagram. Uh, that was my comment. What nonsense. Oh, false. Uh, Bill de Blasio was not responsible for the cancellation of the tribute in light. Says who? The dispatch? Some dweeb who works at... It's crazy stuff. They have so much power, and we've got to take it right back for them. I really believe it. Antitrust, something. We've got to break up big tech. Thomas Edison, if he only sold electricity to the people he agreed with on politics, 
America would have taken that electric company from him. How about Alexander Graham Bell? If he only uh, gave the phone to people he agreed with politically, can you imagine? We wouldn't have let him keep the phone. We would have taken it from him. We would have found a way. Now, I know Instagram and big tech, those are private companies, and they say, well, we can set the rules however we want. Again, they're too big for that kind of stuff. We've got antitrust rules. You know, Free speech is more than going outside your house and yelling. And quite frankly, you can't even do that these days. Something must be done. First, we got to take back the house in the fall. So one more time, September 11th, nearly 3,000 people died, four separate plane crashes, the hijackings, a war, two wars essentially resulted from that. January 6th, one person died and her name was Ashley Babbitt. One person was killed on January 6th, Ashley Babbitt. All right, stay with us. Mike Pence, he is not a leader. He is a follower. He is cautious. He is timid. I cannot believe how scared this man is. Coming up in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Liberal plus chaos equals Biden. And tonight we focus on the I in liberal, which stands for incompetent, absolutely incompetent, knows nothing, brings absolutely no skill, none to the White House, none whatsoever. But he is pretty good at screwing things up. My goodness, Afghanistan. You know, they want to forget about 9-11. We're not going to forget about 9-11 or what happened in Afghanistan. You know, a big problem here, Joe He's so caught up with himself and his family history. He thought he knew everything about Afghanistan, in part because his late son, Bo, was in the military for a little while. Like so many military families, thinking of the loved ones who served, we think of our son, Bo, today. My deceased son, Bo, served in Iraq for a full year. My son, Bo, served in Iraq for a year. My son, Bo, served in Iraq for a year. I'm the first president in 40 years, I'm told, who had a son or daughter who served in a war zone. So you see how it was a political bragging point, talking point, Joe and Bo. Bo served honorably great, but he was, well, one soldier. I believe he was there as a lawyer, perfectly honorable service. But Joe took that and started telling the generals who's boss. Yeah, he knew more than just about anybody in the room in part because uh, Bo had served. That's General McKenzie. And uh, we, know, we now know that General McKenzie, who was a CENTCOM commander, told Joe Biden, hey, we need a residual force, at least in Bagram. McKenzie believes the military alone shouldn't take the blame. I think the U.S. failure in Afghanistan was not the failure solely of the U.S. military, although we certainly bear responsibility for that, but a whole-of-government approach that simply failed. And who's in charge of the government? Who's in, in this matter? Joe Biden. Translation, Joe Biden didn't listen to us. He was arrogant. He was stupid. And he did his own thing. Joe is incompetent, 
politically as well. He's always jumping on the latest craze with the left and trying to make it his own. Um, he delegitimized law enforcement. In addition to trying to defund them, you remember Black Lives Matter, how awful that was, the riots, the chaos. Joe didn't condemn that. He celebrated it. He sanctified it. He saw it as a political opportunity. And when it came to defunding the police, he agreed. They become the enemy. They're supposed to be protecting these people. So my generic point is but that do we agree that we can redirect some of the funding. Yes, absolutely. Redirect some of the funding from the police to social services. Yes, absolutely. Joe Biden denies ever saying that the media cover for him, but he did. Absolutely. Also this from the campaign. The fact of the matter is that what's happened is that we're in a situation now where there are so many people who are in jail and shouldn't be in jail. The whole means by which this should change is the whole model has to change. We should be talking about rehabilitation. Nobody should be in jail for a nonviolent crime. Nobody should be in jail for a nonviolent crime. Well, tell that to some of the January Sixers, okay? Remember your pledge for the January Sixers, like the Horns guy. And so many others who did not break anything, who did not hurt anyone. If you really wanted to unify this country, you would have let them all go. All right. But now everything seems to be changing. So what's Joe's latest tune? We should all agree the answer is not to defund the police. It's to fund the police. Fund them. Fund them. Fund them, fund them, throw money, hire uh, 100,000 cops over the next 15 years. It's not about a shortage of police or equipment. It was backing them up, right? Not delegitimizing them. And Joe did in big ways and small. Hey, who do you call when somebody's about to jump off a building? Who do you call? The cops, right? Cops and the firefighters. Joe thinks he has a better solution. Why is a police officer showing up to the suicide threat, someone trying to jump off a building? We need more social workers there. All right, Joe, you know nothing. Uh, you have no skill whatsoever. Let me fill you in on why cops go to these situations, because they're dangerous. OK, they're dangerous. Somebody jumping off the bridge. By the way, a lot of these police are trained in this very matter. Sometimes these guys want to take somebody with them. They grab somebody or they change their mind and have to be rescued. That is complex. That is dangerous work. How many social workers are going to do that, Joe? Stay the hell out of it. You've already done enough damage. You're questioning of police, questioning their very existence, and you've made their job a lot harder. Get in the car. Dude, I'm stopping you. Do you have a license? Do you have a license? What? I'm stopping you. Do you have a license? What done? Hey, stop on. Stop on. What's going on? How many occupants are in your vehicle? It's only myself. Why are your weapons drawn? What's going on? Open the door slowly. Step out. Open the door. I'm not getting out the vehicle. What's going on? Get out the car. Hey, why listen and obey cops, right? I mean, they're systemically racist. They were formed, I think, to catch slaves, right? Isn't that what it's all about? Yeah, you shouldn't 
this is the result of Joe Biden's rhetoric, the left, and uh, oh yeah, his vice president, his clueless vice president. We have two million people cross this border for the first time ever. You're confident this border is secure? We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. Could she pass a field sobriety test? I, 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 what's going on? You got to have a better answer for that. She doesn't know anything about governing. She doesn't know anything about politics. She does love the perks. Uh, her personal aides are always pumping out these videos of her getting on uh, Air Force Two, I guess. Look at me. I'm getting on a big jet. I mean, boy, you can really relate to that. Even the left hates these pictures, by the way. When Roe v. Wade was overturned, she put out this. There she is looking at her subjects from uh, something that you've probably never been able to do or I've been able to do. Stand up on a plane and watch TV. You can't do that. You just but I guess you can on on Air Force Two uh, makes her special. Right. I'm not a big fan of uh, some Republican vice presidents either. This is Mike Pence, of course. And well, Mike, it's very cautious, very cautious individual. Now, remember when Joe Biden spoke uh, a little over a week ago? It was probably the worst thing I'd ever seen from a president. I mean, calling half the country uh, extremists, uh, a threat to democracy, all that nonsense. Um, Mike Pence waited a week before he weighed in. Here's what he finally said. Okay, Mike Pence, uh, never before in the history of our nation has a president stood before the American people and accused millions of his own countrymen of being a threat to this country. To top it off, President Biden had the audacity to claim I'm asking our nation to come together to unite. Next, please. Well, Mr. President, I've got some good news. The American people will come together in 2022 and 2024. We will be more united than ever before, and we will save this country from Joe Biden, the radical left. Okay, nice statement. But here's the deal. It came out <laughs> September 8, 2020. Joe Biden spoke a week earlier. This is what he does. He makes sure that everybody agrees with him. He wants to know how things play out first. This is what he does. He's always taking the temperature, and it takes him a week and a half to figure out which way to go. I know we all, we all got our doubts about the last election. And I want to assure you, I share the concerns of millions of Americans about voting irregularities. And I promise you, come this Wednesday, we'll have our day in Congress. We'll hear the objections. We'll hear the evidence. Even that was a big fake out. We'll hear the objections. We won't do anything about it. Uh, that's the way he rolls. One week, I was shooting off opinions on Twitter 30 seconds after the speech, even during the speech. That man is not a leader. This one is. Ultimately, I'm always right. You know, instead of second guessing him and being horrified by, oh, my goodness gracious, how could he say that on Truth Social or Twitter or whatever? He has unique gifts and there's so much we can learn from him. And before 9-11, he said the most remarkable thing. This is all the way back in January of 2000 in one of his books. He actually wrote this. I am really convinced we're in danger of the sort of terrorist attacks that will make the bombing of the 1993 Trade Center look like kids playing with firecrackers. 
How about that, huh? One day, we're told that a shadowy figure with no fixed address named Osama bin Laden is public enemy number one, and U.S. jet fighters lay waste to his camp in Afghanistan. He escapes back under some rock, and a few news cycles later, it's on to a new enemy and new crisis. How about that? Some 19 months before 9-11, he was writing about Osama bin Laden. And regarding the pandemic, you know, we all had a, we all gave up handshaking there for a while. Remember? Uh, fist bumps or whatever. I actually prefer this to handshaking. I had never had a problem with handshaking, but President Trump always did. An interesting anticipation and recommendation. This was all the way back in 1997. One of the curses of American society is the simple act of shaking hands. And the more successful and famous one becomes, the worse this terrible custom seems to get. Uh, I happen to be a clean hands freak. I feel much better after I thoroughly wash my hands, which I do as often as possible. All right. Uh, recent medical reports have come out saying that colds and various other ailments are spread through the act of shaking hands. I have no doubt about this. Uh, the Japanese have it right. They stand slightly apart and do a quick, formal, and very beautiful bow in order to acknowledge each other's presence. This is an ancient act and was probably originated eons ago by someone like me, <laughs> a germ freak. <laughs> Whoever formalized this greeting was very smart and far beyond his time. I wish we would develop a similar greeting custom in America. And all right, wrapping up here. In fact, I've often thought of taking out a series of newspaper ads encouraging the abolishment of the handshake. At the very least, people would realize why I hate to shake hands and not take it personally. <laughs> In any event, if any of you folks reading this book really like me, Please approach me at any time in a restaurant or elsewhere and don't stick out your hand, but simply bow. I will bow back and greatly appreciate the thought. There's no one like him. Huh? So much. And by the way, really, I think the handshake is totally passe right now. I know some people like to do it to like, you know what, screw Fauci, but... I like not shaking hands. It actually works for me, and it actually worked for the queen as well. Well, actually, do we know how the queen felt about shaking hands? It doesn't matter at this point, but we do know that she was a devoted Christian and one of the two few who spoke boldly about her relationship with Jesus Christ. We'll be right back. All I can, I can say... Is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? Now, some of this, I guess, is necessary, but they're overdoing it a bit on the Queen, don't you think? I mean, it's great to talk about the Queen, the important parts, but they're going into the minutiae, I think, about, you know, the coffin's here and it's going there. Well, take a look. At 10 o'clock this morning, Queen Elizabeth II began her final journey. From her favourite home, Balmoral Castle in the Scottish countryside, the Queen's cortege travelled to Edinburgh, where she'll lie in rest until Tuesday before moving to London. Hundreds of thousands are expected to pay their last respects. After a state funeral on Monday the 19th, Queen Elizabeth will be laid to rest alongside her late husband, Prince Philip, at Windsor Castle, just outside London. All right, it's necessary a little bit of this at times but all day long that just 
the coffin's here, now it's there. I mean, the minutia of it, and they're missing, I think, the big part of this. Queen Elizabeth was a devout Christian, and one of the, there are too few who, you know, so many Christians don't want to mention Jesus because they think it might offend somebody somewhere, but the way she talked about it was not at all offensive, and it wasn't, she wasn't pushing it on anyone. She was sharing her faith. Christmas is the traditional, if not the actual, birthday of a man who was destined to change the course of our history. And today we are celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ was born 2,000 years ago. The simple facts of Jesus' life give us little clue as to the influence he was to have on the world. But the true measure of Christ's influence is not only in the lives of the saints, but also in the good works quietly done by millions of men and women day in and day out through the centuries. Many will have been inspired by Jesus' simple but powerful teaching, love God and love thy neighbor as thyself. In other words, treat others as you would like them to treat you. His great emphasis was to give spirituality a practical purpose. Isn't that beautiful? Now, I know there are some out there, some Christians, good people, who say, well, wait a second, that wasn't, uh, that, I, I disagree with that part. She should have emphasized this. It's one of the reasons why so many Christians are afraid to uh, speak out more, because they're terrified of saying the wrong thing. Uh, it's all part of the conversation. I think this should be applauded. I wish I knew more about this when she was alive. Next, please. For his family's tree, he chose an angel helping to remind us that the focus of the Christmas story is on one particular family. For Joseph and Mary, the circumstances of Jesus' birth in a stable were far from ideal. But worse was to come as the family was forced to flee the country. It is no surprise that such a human story still captures our imagination and continues to inspire all of us who are Christians the world over. Despite being displaced and persecuted throughout his short life, Christ's unchanging message was not one of revenge or violence, but simply that we should love one another. Although it is not an easy message to follow, we shouldn't be discouraged. Rather, it inspires us to try harder to be thankful for the people who bring love and happiness into our own lives and to look for ways of spreading that love to others whenever and wherever we can. Bravo, Your Majesty. Bravo. Uh, more of us should follow your example and speak boldly with respect, with gentleness about our relationship to Jesus Christ. There's there's no greater gift that we could share. Now, there are some who speak in the most offensive, obnoxious way about these matters. And one of them is on television every morning sitting next to Mika. And that's Joe Scarborough. As a Southern Baptist, wow. I grew up reading the Bible, maybe a backslidden Baptist, but I still know the Bible. Jesus never once talked about abortion, never once. And it was happening back in ancient times. It was happening during his time. Never once mentioned it. And for people perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ down to one issue, it's heresy. 
go. If you don't believe me, if that makes you angry, why don't you do something you haven't done in a long time? Open the Bible, open the New Testament, read the red letters. You won't see it there. And yet there are people who are using Jesus as a shield to make 10-year-old rape girls go through a living and breathing hell here on earth. Well, Joe is talking like a disgusting animal quite clearly there. So a couple of things. Uh, Jesus also does not talk about vehicular homicide or DUI or identity theft or securities fraud. All right. Um, As far as abortion, however, or the horror of ending a life before birth, that's discussed, especially in the Old Testament. You can look that part up, Joe. You can. And if you think that Jesus was somehow in favor of abortion, after the story of the Immaculate Conception, well, I don't understand why Mika is so proud of you. She's sitting there gazing. Look at this. Look at that horror that we just heard. And this ignorant fool looking at her with admiration and respect. What a pair. What a pair those are. All right. Got to move on to the mayor of New Orleans. Uh, This woman, uh, I'm not that familiar with her, although she recently scored some first class tickets on a plane to Europe and she's getting some heat for that. Uh, Let's see. Put up the fact sheet, please. How much money is involved here? Ooh, she spent an extra 20 or the city did $29,000 to upgrade to first class. City in policy states employees must pay the difference. Yeah, her job took her to France a couple of times for some reason. Anyway, here she is uh, kind of digging in her heels. Uh, All expenses incurred doing business on behalf of the city of New Orleans will not be reimbursed to the city of New Orleans. One thing is clear, I do my job, and I will continue to do it with distinction, with dignity and integrity every step of the way. And so that's what I have to say on that. All right. Well, here's what she said earlier about why she needs to be in first class. Uh, My travel accommodations are a matter of safety, not of luxury. As all women know, our health and safety are often disregarded and we are left to navigate alone. Hmm. Anyone who wants to question how I protect myself just doesn't understand the world black women walk in. All right. Uh, I think that's pretty silly. But then again, people like Joe Biden and Democrats everywhere have said that this is the be all and end all of excuses. So very strange indeed. Um, Hey, we were talking about thank you very much. We were talking about Queen Elizabeth and her faith. I'll just share this. I can be pretty tough on people. And that's okay. There is a place for the public square. I don't like everybody, but I love everybody. I really do. I don't have to like them, and neither do you, but we really should, as Queen Elizabeth and as Jesus said, love everyone, even Joe Biden, even and even especially our enemies. All right, coming up, Carrie Lake. Is she going to be the next governor of uh, Arizona or what? The woman on the right does not want to debate her. That's Katie Hobbs, her Democrat opponent. She said, no, I am not debating you. Carrie Lake will be here in a moment. (laughs) 
So there's Carrie Lake, Republican nominee for governor of Arizona, and she is on fire to the consternation of the radical left and the fake news. Take a look at this poll. Lake is now larger in charge in the latest poll from the Trafalgar Group, uh, ahead of Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, who is ducking uh, debates with Carrie Lake. Hey, the fake news is acknowledging that uh, Carrie has the upper hand here big time. Take a look at this. I came away believing Mark Kelly is stronger than I thought, and so is Carrie Lake. Right. And it, it's being on television, as she, Carrie Lake, being a former TV anchor for, what was it, 20 years? Yeah. There is a sense from voters that I know this person and whatever is being said about them and attack ads, et cetera. Well, maybe that's true, but maybe it's just politics. She can't be like that because she's been in my living room for the last 20 years. So she has a benefit there. A big time benefit. People trust Carrie Lake. And I think this person envies that. Carrie Lake joins us right now. Republican nominee for governor of Arizona. Welcome back. How are you? I'm doing great. It's good to be here. She's right, but it looked like she was pained to have to admit that. People didn't believe the lies and the attack ads that were lobbed my way because they know who I am here in Arizona. Well, it is something to behold. The national media is uh, starting to pay attention and take you very seriously. Although your opponent, Ms. Hobbs, refuses to debate you. Um, first of all, why do you think that is? Uh, well, a, a couple of reasons. One, she doesn't have any policies to stand on. She's cowardice, and she knows that she will be found out for being the racist that she is. I think a lot of people still don't realize that she's a twice convicted racist that has cost the state nearly $3 million because of her racism. Two juries unanimously found her guilty for racial discriminatory practices in her hiring when she was uh, the uh, working in the Senate. And she paid women of color $30,000 less for doing the same exact job as she paid men. And when she was called out on it, she fired the woman who made the complaint. And because of that, we, the people of Arizona, are paying nearly $3 million because of her racism. She's also got a terrible voting record. When she was um, in the legislature, she voted against border security, virtual border security. She voted against the border strike force to secure our border while at the same time introducing legislation that would start sex education in kindergarten. She's completely out of touch. She's dangerous. She's a monster, and the people of Arizona don't want her. And she knows that I'm going to call her out for all of that on the debate stage. Wow. You know what? I, I must say, I have not heard about this, uh, this racism charge, but uh, there oh, is, yeah. Uh, yeah, this Second lawsuit. Second largest settlement. Second largest settlement we've had to pay out because of her racism. So, all right. That kind of explains if this all checks out uh, her statement here. She doesn't want to debate you. Let's go ahead and put it up on the screen. Uh, she calls you a conspiracy theorist. I'm not going to debate her. The entire campaign is causing chaos to Arizona. Do me a favor. Put up the next. Uh, uh, they deserve so much better. And then and then she ends this with we must respectfully decline the invitation. Uh, this I mean, uh. it seems like somebody who uh, just might be afraid to be on stage with you. 
It's so funny because she called our Republican primary debate a circus. At least we had the courage to sit on stage, exchange ideas. And did it get a little bit rough and tumble? Of course it did. We had four people sitting on stage. Meantime, she bowed out of the Democrat primary debate as well. She was too cowardice to show up and defend her record because, Greg, her record is dismal. I mean, just the racism charges, the racism convictions alone, it's, it's despicable. So, Carrie, um, how many months we have to go here? Less than two. What do you need to do to bring this race home? We're just going to continue doing what we're doing, and we're going to go out and share our policies. I think we have the best policies in the country, frankly. We have a great policy to secure the border. We have a great policy to educate our children. We're now funding the students, not the systems here in Arizona, which is great. And we're going to now work to bring back trade skill training, vocational training, and career certification in high school so that Arizona kids get out of high school ready for good, high-paying jobs. We also have a great policy to tackle chronic street homelessness and ban people living in tents on the sides of the streets, get them help and restore quality of life. We're going to fully fund our police and re return law and order to Arizona. And we're going to be a great place to start a business or grow your business. We are yeah. so excited about what lies ahead for Arizona. We're just going out and telling people about our plans. And uh, that's why we're doing well in the polls. Well, um, I think we have our answer as to why uh, Katie Hobbs will not be debating you. I don't think uh, you can. she can out-talk <laughs> you. Or, <laughs> there's no way, no way that's well, happening. Uh, so let me say, say yeah, this, Greg, just real a moment. quick. We're, we're applying for a job, and the people of Arizona are the hiring manager. And we need to show up for the job interview in order to get that job. Carrie Lake. Uh, check out, uh, let's see, is it CarrieLake.com? It yes, is. It is. CarrieLake.com. Uh, thank you very much. Good luck, and we'll be right back. Thanks. All right. General Mark Milley, one of the weirdest generals in the history of America. Very, very strange. Now, yesterday was the September 11th uh, a memorial at the Pentagon and the World Trade Center, Shanksville. But he spoke at the Pentagon. Actually, quite frankly, for the first time, he spoke appropriately. This is how it should be done. But he undermines himself all the time. Number one, here's what he said yesterday. We are all Americans, regardless of where we came from, what our last name is, regardless of the color of our skin or the religion we follow. It doesn't matter if we're male or female. None of that matters. We are all Americans. All right. I don't disagree. Nobody does. Nobody would. However, the message he's been pushing throughout his term as chairman of the Joint Chiefs is it's not about being American. It's about being black. It's about being white. It's about being Hispanic, whatever. And this is so contrary to what the military should be about. But he says these things out loud. Be inclusive. Make a commitment to seek out and surround yourself with those who don't look like you, think like you, and who come from different backgrounds. Specifically, reach out to junior officers and enlisted members whose background is different than yours and, and mentor them. Military people automatically are from all over the place. It's about being the same, to look for people who don't look like you. This is you should be blind about things like that. I still like the phrase colorblind, the word, the term. I guess the left doesn't like that. We should bring it back. And I'll be right back.
News breaks every minute, every day. You need the app, the Newsmax app. Find it free on your smartphone store. Then watch us anytime, anywhere. Good night, Mr. Vice President. Let me know in a week or so what you think of everything we said about you tonight. Good night.